You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 91st edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 422nd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, August 30th, 2018. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms, as Jared apparently feels that orientation for his daughter's preschool is more important than talking about IU off-season basketball in late August, but uh, we will soldier on without him. And uh, with that, let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call with how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Who's Your Proud Banner moment. Uh, a couple things stuck out for me this week. Uh, the first of which was uh, some of the preseason magazines and projections started to come out, uh, and IU has found themselves in the top four of the Big Ten projections in the Athlon publication, as well as Lindy's, although given how low Lindy's rated Juwan Morgan, it's hard to put a lot of stock into uh, whoever is coming up with the, uh, the rankings there, but nonetheless... Both of those had IU in the top four of the conference. And perhaps most importantly, John Gasway of ESPN was on podcast on the brink and had IU in his top four as well. Uh, and his opinion certainly is one uh, that I think most basketball fans trust. And uh, we're excited to see that. So I think as you, you step back and, and look at that, everybody's had uh, so much optimism and excitement in the offseason. And some of that is you could argue that we, we had a little bit last year as people talked themselves into the team, maybe being better than they thought it was, but it's good to see uh, some objective folks who uh, don't see things through crimson colored glasses think that uh, this year's team uh, has what it takes to at least be in the top four of the Big Ten and potentially challenge for the Big Ten title. Uh, so that's exciting and a good way to kind of validate those thoughts that everybody's having and the optimism that's there. And hopefully things will play out on the court in a way that uh, make, makes uh, all those guys look smart. Uh, the other thing I saw was the uh, the basketball team on on Twitter and Facebook talked about having Chris Heron uh, come in and talk to the team. And I think you know, we've talked a lot about, obviously, the player development, the basketball development standpoint of things. But uh, it, it's also nice to see them taking time to do things like that, um, more life development, I guess you could say, uh, with having Heron. If, if anyone's not familiar with him, you can watch the uh, unguarded 30 for 30 uh, on him. But basically, a, a really talented high school player that went to school at Boston College. Uh, fell into a lot of issues with uh, drug and alcohol abuse and and has turned his life around, I think, in looking through, uh, you know, researching a little bit about him. I just celebrated 10 years sober. So a, a good guy to come in and talk to the team. I'm sure that was impactful as uh, during that 30 for 30, they showed, uh, you know, some of the speeches that he gives and, and just what he tells these guys. So uh, I think I speak for everybody when say, you know, glad to see these guys being developed uh, for life and as as people above and beyond just being athletes and basketball players at IU. So those are both exciting things for me this week. And with that, uh, I want to introduce our special guest for this week. He sits to my left. He is the head of IU sports media program. You probably know him from Crimson Cast, which this week included references to both Jabron Hamden and the notion of potentially selling or even giving away weed at Memorial Stadium. So everybody should definitely check that one out. 
Uh, it is the longest running IU sports podcast. And if you don't know him from Crimson Cast, you certainly know him from the greatest gift in IU football history. When ESPN's cameras caught him cheering jubilantly during the first half of last year's IU Ohio State football game, when it was still competitive and we all still dared to dream the impossible dream. He is Galen Clavio. Galen, how are you feeling about the offseason so far? The offseason has gone about as well as that intro did, uh, which, which makes me feel yeah, well done. Good. Yeah, no, it's excellent. Excellent. I, uh, Jared no, still has his fingerprints on the show, even when he's not here. So let's not, <laughs> I don't want to take too much credit. <laughs> it's been great. The, I love quiet off seasons where it's just kind of steady improvement all the way forward. And, you know, I mean, the schedule's out. So I feel like there have been a couple off seasons in the past where we had to kind of sit around and wait and wait and wait. Uh, and we didn't have to do that this year. Uh, so I'm excited. Uh, you know, there's been no major issues that have occurred, which uh, I think we're still getting used to off seasons like that. And uh, I'm looking forward to what's coming up here. And we don't even have to wait, have to wait that much longer. We're less than a month away from Hoosier hysteria. So it's been fun. And to my right, he is a columnist for the big lead, a co-host for the hangover and the self-proclaimed favorite for both the dunk and three point contests at Hoosier hysteria. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, anything to rant about with IU basketball this week? Yeah, Archie, give me a week to give me a month to train. I'll, I'll, not, I'll win both of those at Hoosier Hysteria. Actually, I I wanted to thank our absent co-host Jared Morris. He got me a uh, a birthday present uh, that I actually it was a couple days late, but only because my buildings uh, they don't they, for some reason they don't alert you when packages are here. They just kind of keep them, and you're supposed to just know. I guess I don't know, but uh, it's a it's a starting lineup figure of Tony Gwynn. So clearly, after seven years of hosting shows together, soon to be eight. Jared uh, has gotten to know me, and uh, this is just a shot across Andy Bottoms' bow uh, to, to step it up with a gift giving. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, but a- Andy did get, send me a nice text. It was my birthday last week. So, uh, and uh, I, 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 would, I would echo what Galen said. I think that for a while, off seasons were a pit of despair, to use a, a Princess Bride reference, uh, when for, for Indiana basketball. It's just like you're just waiting for the next bad thing to happen. And you know, when it's a quiet off season, I'm kind of enjoying this. I know we don't have as much to necessarily talk about and frantically debate, but it, it, it's a positive because everything's just kind of going well. And it's almost like, oh, what's that feeling deep in my heart? Oh, it's hope. Okay. Yeah, no, that's positive. Uh, so I would just, I would just congratulate Archie and company on, on what was, I guess we're not really even in the off season anymore because school has started and these guys are going to be hitting the court at Hoosier Hysteria in less than a month. So uh, congratulations to Archie and the guys for having a great off season. Uh, certainly since we last saw them hit the court, things have gotten much better in the program, given the recruiting class that's arrived on campus, watching some of those workouts, seeing the body changes of some of these guys now that they're working with Cliff Marshall. It's, it's all a positive, and things are looking great for Indiana basketball. And as you mentioned in your intro, Andy, people are starting to wake up to the fact that this team could be pretty special. Yes, I agree. Galen also celebrated a birthday earlier this week, so I assume there's some kind of Harry Kane or Deli Alley, uh, you know, figure coming f- coming your those way. Are, those uh, based are soccer on the present that you got from from Spurs on your birthday. So yeah, those uh, are those those are soccer references for those who don't pay attention in Central Indiana. Hey, we hey we try to cover it all here. What, we, what have a, we have a global audience. What are you talking about? Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so here's what we're going to talk about this week. Uh, has one, the few questions here. Has one of Indiana's most notable traditions outlasted its usefulness? The NCAA announcing a lot of off-season changes. Which ones are the most important to pay attention to? And then we'll wrap with your questions, which uh, we've got quite a few of those. So we'll see where these other conversations take us. And then we will uh, we'll go from there. So all of that coming up here on this week's Assembly Call Radio. And before we get to this week's top story, I have a quick reminder for you about a great way to shop online for tickets. 
Bookmark this URL, iutickets.shop. It will take you right to SeatGeek where you can immediately find the best deals on IU basketball tickets as well as IU football tickets, concert tickets, and other live events. As a bonus, use the promo code assembly to get $20 back after your first purchase. And when you use that URL, iutickets.shop, we get paid a commission for referring you. These commissions add up and really have a big impact on helping us cover the cost of running the show, like website hosting, podcasting equipment, and paying the new appearance fee for Galen that Scott Caulfield has started charging other podcasts. Did you know about that, Galen? That's, Make sure you get new, your cut. News to me. <laughs> yes. Once again, the URL for tickets is iutickets.shop. You are listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and our special guest, Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. And the top story this week actually kind of is a, a crossover from the football team, and it has to do with putting names on the backs of the jerseys. And so uh, earlier this week, the football team announced that it's going to remove names from the back of the jerseys, which uh, has been long, long time the standard for the basketball program. And several football alums have voiced displeasure with the move, citing the pride they felt in the name on the playing for the name, both on the front and the back of the Jersey. Uh, but the vast majority of IU basketball fans support that longstanding tradition of no names on the backs of the jerseys. So it's a small but growing chorus of naysayers who wonder if the tradition has outlasted its usefulness and if not having names on the backs of jerseys could even impact recruiting. So Gail, I'll start with this with you because you guys talked a little bit about this on, uh, on Crimson cast, but is it even fair to to make any kind of comparison between IU football and IU basketball? No, I don't think it is. I mean, they're different sports. They're in very different places from a publicity and marketing perspective. And look, I think there's a, an argument to be made that it does impact you know football a lot more than it does basketball because unlike, I mean, you, you know, look at the difference between like the NBA and the NFL. You get you get to know the players in the NBA because you see their faces on a regular basis. You, you really don't get to know very many NFL players because they've got a helmet over their head the whole time. And I do think that, you know, it's, it's more important that there be some kind of distinction between the people out on the field. You know, look, I've, I've always felt like the, the, na- the no names on the backs of the jerseys thing in basketball is, it's fine. It's part of the brand of IU basketball, but I've never felt that IU basketball was dependent on having no names on the back of the jerseys. Like, I think that you could have a situation where you had names on them and it wouldn't fundamentally change anything about IU basketball. Um, so, you know, the, the, to me, it's it's one of those things that I think is, it, it gets paid a lot of attention to it, but it, it feels like a lot less attention now than it was, say, 20 or 30 years ago. Um, I don't think anybody's threatening to change basketball. In fact, obviously, they just changed football the opposite direction. But, you know, I think that, the core of IU basketball, that, that culture doesn't necessarily have to be centered around the idea that there's no names on the backs of the jerseys. Ryan, what about you? Do you think that's something that has, you know, kind of passed its time and, you know, a new generation of players that is either not important to at all or in some ways could be a deterrent to somebody wanting to come and play? No, and I think if it is a deterrent, that might not be the one, the kind of kid you want on your in basketball. I'm saying, I mean, if, in football, I understand it. I I came out and said, hey, no, I like the idea. I I think in football, Indiana has several different jersey combinations, and I think that maybe they should go with a, a solution. Might be to go with some jerseys that have names and some that don't. You know, if you're gonna have the different combinations, maybe make it. If you go with a more traditional one, you take them off. If you go with you know, the, in, the ones that are supposed to represent the state of Indiana, maybe you don't go because it's about the state of Indiana. Maybe you take those names off. Uh, in basketball, I don't think you should have names because, quite frankly, there aren't enough players to be confused. 
I, I think it's it, it's easy if you're at the game. First of all, if you're watching on TV, they're going to name the players for you. If you're at the game, you can get a little sheet that has the entire name on it, or you can buy a program, donate some money to the university. It's not that tough. Like it, 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 in basketball, I just feel like it's not as important to have the names on the jerseys. And I, and I like that there's no names on the jerseys, even if it's a stupid thing where you're saying, oh, well, it's about the name on the front, then the back. I mean, it's kind of a cheesy thing, but it, a lot of people believe it. And I've always loved the Indiana uniform because it's clean. It's got the, you know, it's, it's, with very few changes over the year, very few minuscule changes over the years, looks exactly the same as it did years ago. And I love that. I, I am a fan of the old, one of my favorite sites in sports. And I know it, 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 it's, it's going to go, you guys are going to laugh at me for this, but it's when Notre Dame wears its classic uniform against USC and you've got the Cardinal and gold helmets versus the, the sparkly gold Notre Dame helmets. I mean, with no names and it's just classic and the uniforms are basically the same as they've always been. I like that. I, I, I kind of like that traditional. I love Penn state's classic white uniform. I think that's awesome. So maybe I'm old fashioned. I don't know. I've been accused of worse, but uh, I think that it's, it's kind of a nice thing to not have the names on the back of the basketball jerseys for football. I get it. I get people wanting to have them. There are so many players. There are even players on offensive defense who have the same number. So, yeah, that can get confusing if, you know, who's on punt team uh, it, it, and, and stuff like that. So I get the argument. I, I think the solution for football might be to have some uniform combinations where you use them somewhere you don't. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, as, as you guys said, from a basketball standpoint, that's kind of part of the tradition and part of the, you know, part of the program. I, I think there's not really a need to try to make every other program at the school try to look like the one that has been Totally, fair. you know, most most notable, most successful, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, when you go through and look at it that way, it's like, you know, you don't need to do that. And in some ways, as somebody who's followed IU football for a long time, you'd really like to see it kind of forge its own identity as a program and not feel like it is riding on the coattails of the basketball team and everything has to be the same, which is not to say that that's the reason that it was done to try to make it look like, uh, you know, to try to make it look like basketball. But they did, um, they did try that in the late nineties with the, uh, the infamous evil oval. Logo. Oh yeah. I that was, was I was there for that. That was amazing. I know you, were. You, guys, you guys referenced on Crimson cast that game against Kentucky when they came out in the black jerseys, what you, what you did not mention was the fact that it was like 98 degrees that day and, it, and for a noon kickoff and they came out in all black jerseys, just the genius part of the brilliance of camp Cameron. You really, it's really hard to, uh, hard well, to, at least hard you didn't to have to sit in the stands like and watch Jared Lorenzen pick us apart against Kentucky one year. That was, uh, that, that was, was like, yeah, we watched Tim couch do it instead. So it was pretty much, <laughs> at least he got drafted first, you know, uh, there's something to be said for that, I suppose. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's, it's good conversation, but ultimately I don't think there's anything that's going to change with the basketball program and we'll see how long it lasts, uh, with football. But, uh, you know, I, again, made, made for good conversation this week. And this is the kind of thing you talk about in, in late August when uh, you're waiting on things to get started. So uh, with that, uh, we're going to we're going to move forward here and uh, talk a little bit and get Ryan and Galen's perspective on some of the changes the NCAA has made, uh, kind of what those mean for college basketball at large and what those might mean for uh, for IU specifically. So we'll uh, we'll hit that when we come back here on this edition of the Assembly Call. Stick with us. listening to the assembly call if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of assembly call radio or one of our post game shows there are two great ways to catch up 
You can subscribe to our podcast for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call. Or you can watch the video replays of all of our shows on YouTube. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, go to youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and our special guest, Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. And wanted to talk a little bit and step back on a, on a fairly slow week and look at some of the NCAA changes that have been made and, and try to uh, get Galen and Ryan's opinions on you know, which ones they think are most impactful. So a bunch of headlines made from the NCAA this season. The Rice Commission was the first of those with their recommendations on how to, quote unquote, fix college basketball. Uh, so... Uh, some of the highlights of this were allowing more official visits to high school prospects, allowing players who fit certain criteria to have agent representation, allowing underclassmen who fit certain criteria to return to school if they declare for the draft and go undrafted, made some changes to the recruiting calendar, uh, some stricter penalties uh, for you know breaking some of these rules from an enforcement standpoint and, and a handful of other things. So, you know, I guess we'll start here. Um, Ryan, do, do you think, I guess of those, which of those do you think is really the most consequential for uh, college basketball at large? I think it's the allowing kids to return to, uh, if, they aren't, uh, if they go undrafted. I think it'll lead to more guys declaring, uh, but I think that the underclassmen who fit certain criteria being allowed to return to school if they go undrafted, I think is is the most, I think universally accepted of those that where you say, okay, you know what, that makes sense. Uh, I, I would, I would recommend that football do the same thing. If guys get drafted past like the fifth round, they can pull themselves out or, or, you know, something along those lines. I think that sometimes guys declare and are involved in the process. Something happens an injury, something along those lines, they fall and they don't have a chance to redeem themselves. And they're kind of stuck in that cycle of missing the draft, maybe going to the G League or Europe. And, and they're always, if you're not a draft pick, you're always regarded as not being a draft pick and it hurts you or being a low draft pick as that is. So I think, I think the allowing players to, to be able to come back if they go undrafted, particularly in basketball, given how there's only two rounds to the draft. And I think the G League has become a really good minor leagues for the NBA. And it's actually becoming useful where it wasn't for about a decade. Now, you can have a life in the G League and moving up to the NBA where that really didn't happen for a long time. So I think, I think that's probably the best of those uh, rules that they suggested. I think the challenge with some of these has been the conditions that they put on. So that one in particular, I believe you have to have been invited to the draft combine, but then not been drafted. At least that was the initial read I had on it at the time. And so, you know, the number of players who are going to get invited there, and then not get drafted or not want to go into the G League is probably a relatively small number. Now, if they make changes and start inviting more players to the combine, maybe that maybe that changes. I don't know. I, I think that one, in theory, I think it, it's one that if you don't read the fine print, sounds pretty good. But then I wonder how many players will actually be able to to take advantage. Galen, any of those stand out to you as really bringing bringing us any closer to solving the the, the problems that there are perceived to be or or actually are in college basketball? No, I wouldn't say, and and I would have probably picked the same one that uh, that Ryan picked. But that yeah, boring. I agree that none of them are going to change college no, basketball. But, I just yeah. like that rule idea. It's it's just kind of moving the furniture around at this point. But I will say, I think allowing players, certain players, to have agent representation is a pretty big move, and that's a move towards at least a semi-professionalized model at this level, which I do think is important. And and frankly, long overdue. It's something that has been a problem in other sports. We've seen a lot of controversy in, in NCAA baseball, for instance, involving representation and how that's all supposed to work. And there's really no good reason 
why there's you never going to be a clean way to do this. There won't be, you know, but, but there's never been any good reason why you wouldn't allow players who could potentially play professionally the chance to talk to someone who could give them legal advice and, and professional advice about what they might be doing moving forward. We certainly don't put that restriction. I mean, heck, you know, if you're a Kelly student, you've got recruiters coming in, you know, sometimes at the end of your junior year or beginning of your senior year trying to offer you a job. Like we don't place those restrictions on anybody else in the, in the scholastic system at the college level. So it doesn't make much sense to put restrictions on uh, high level basketball players. So to me, I'm interested to see how that plays out and whether that ends up expanding some as time goes by. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, I kind of fall in the same boat. Like, I don't think this really did anything. I think most people who follow this closely would suggest that, you know, the whole notion of amateurism and not addressing if until you address that, you're not really addressing anything. Do you, Ryan, I'll go to you first on this. Do you think, you know, so we don't think the NCAA really accomplished anything. Do you think the NCAA itself thinks they accomplished something by doing this? No, I think they know. I think that this is all for PR and this is all to make things look good. Like, oh, look, we're really looking into how to change things. The NCAA doesn't care. They make they make so much money. They don't want changes. They, I mean, if they make changes, they want changes that are going to increase revenue. That's it. That's the only changes they really care about. Do they care about a dirty system? They care about a dirty system because it's bad for PR, not because it hurts them. And, and I just think that this is you know, more window dressing. And, and I don't know. The problem for the NCA is the one place we should be looking for changes is things that make it better for the student athlete, not the administrators. And guess what? And I know we have a school administrator here on, uh, on this. <laughs> but no, I mean... Stretching I, the term school administrator. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> um, but, you know, and I think that you're on my side on this, is that the, yeah. this should be about the students and about making life better for the student athletes and improving things. And that doesn't necessarily mean just like pay the athletes, although I, I have yet to see a a proposal that'll work as far as that's concerned for all parties. But I do think that if you're not going to pay them, at least improve their life on campus, improve helping them move on to the next level and not making it, you know, all about the institutions, which it is right now. Something that popped up yesterday that isn't in this list, but is worth mentioning was this announcement of this partnership between the NBA and USA basketball, which was surprising. It is. Yeah. I mean, and, and basically it, 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 It was the NCAA, the NBA Players Association, USA Basketball, uh, setting up training programs, focusing on on life skills and health and wellness and so forth. Uh, It's it's a big deal because it lays the groundwork for potentially ending the one-and-done setup that we've currently got in college basketball, probably not for another four or five years, but but at least the groundwork's being laid for that. So I'm really interested to see how that, uh, you know, whether that does a, a kind of an end around on some of the the short-term proposals the NCAA has got out there and what that will mean long-term for, you know, for high-level basketball talent, whether they'll end up continuing to go to college or if we'll go back to the system we had in the early 2000s where they don't. Yeah, it was, it was interesting to see that come out because it seemed like everybody with USA Basketball and, and a lot of other places were at least appeared to be blindsided by and not really involved in what the NCAA came out with initially. So I guess maybe this is a extending of the olive branch to get everybody uh, you know, back on the same page, but uh, you know, Ryan, do you think that's where this inevitably is going? That 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 the uh, the one and done era is gone, and and we'll start seeing kids go uh, straight from from high school to the NBA again. You know, I I don't see how they can justify keeping one and done. I really don't, um, because especially when you've got so many complaints from 
the students at these colleges about how their lives are, you know, and, and how things need to be better and improved and all that. You can't force a kid to go to college. I mean, you just can't. And I think maybe having a system like we've got with baseball where you can declare for the draft and then if you don't get drafted, go to college uh, or if you don't get drafted where you want or whatever, go to college. I think that's fair uh, to everybody involved. And I also think that maybe having a situation where, okay, but if you're going to be on campus, you got to be on campus for two years uh, and getting rid of the one year window there. I think that make, I think that makes more sense because then the kids know what they're getting into. All right. Well, coming up for those of you listening on the radio Friday night, you may be switching over to high school football and for everyone else, we're going to come back and discuss a little bit more about some of the changes the NCAA has made during the off season. That's next here on the assembly call. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. We now have almost 6,000 IU fans from around the globe who subscribe to our free email newsletter. What do you get when you subscribe? You get our weekly Six Banner Sunday news roundups as well as our post-game analysis emails once the season begins. It's all free and it'll make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Joining is easy. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Again, go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 and join our free email newsletter. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and Galen Clavio, and we're talking at a high level about some of the things the NCAA has done over the uh, over the off season. And so, uh, you know, when Brian Tonsoni was on with me last week, we talked a little bit about the death of the RPI and the new uh, net metric that is going to be out there to help sort and evaluate teams. Uh, you know, a little bit more has come out about that. Um, I think uh, Ken Pomeroy had written a piece uh, for The Athletic earlier in the week where he talked a little bit more about it and some of his, his thoughts on it. Um, you know, I guess wanted to kind of see if there's any, you know, having had an extra week to digest this a little bit, if there are anything that uh, really stands out to you about it now. Galen, I'll go to you first. I know you do some bracketology as well. So uh, anything, anything really stand out to you about it? How excited are you for this new metric? Or is it just kind of too early to tell what it's really going to mean. I mean, I think it's too early to tell, but I'm excited that the RPI formula is not there anymore. You know, I, this, everything on the surface looks like this is a better system. You know, the, the release that the NCAA put out said, okay, this relies on game results, strength of schedule, game location, scoring margin, net offensive and defensive efficiency and quality of wins and losses. Well, that, that sounds like a good mixture to me. And you know, I get the concerns that people have about it's, oh, it's a proprietary formula, it's not transparent. I don't really see that being that huge of a, of a problem. And you know, I think the people that want the NCAA to put out some kind of a definitive ranking or you know, have a definitive metric that says absolutely this is you know, the, the way that things are going to be you know, on Selection Sunday, you know, to me that takes some of the fun out of it. You know, there, there's, there's always been a human element in trying to figure out where teams should be seated, what teams should be selected. Broadly speaking, the metrics have, have done a good job of, of getting teams in there, and there's always some questions around the margins. Uh, you know, so I, I think, the, to me, I, let's let it go for a year before we start really demanding complete transparency as far as how things are calculated. And, and even at that point, I, I don't think that there's going to be a need to because you know, ultimately this is a grouping mechanism. If it's a way to broadly tell who are the the generally good teams and who is not generally the good teams. And then we're 
picking teams and seeding them based upon what we think, based upon you know that set of criteria, I'm fine with that system. Ryan, anything stand out to you about the announcement? No, I'm not one of these numbers guys who understands this stuff. So, uh, but no, I, I look it, anything. I'm, I'm, I do appreciate the NCAA is trying to improve the system and not just sitting back and and. Uh, and I think a lot of people had problems with the RPI. I know we've discussed it on here before. It, it, there were holes in the system, and so I appreciate them tweaking it, going with something different. It would have been stupid if they said, you know, we're just we're just fixing the RPI and calling it the RPI. That would have been dumb because people would still have all the same complaints about the RPI, and they, you know, a lot of people wouldn't know what the changes are and things like that. So just coming up with a new system from scratch from a PR standpoint, smart move, uh, get rid of the thing people were complaining about. I I will say uh, one of the reasons why the NCAA refused to change the RPI for so many years is because they wanted a simple metric that they could use across all sports. For sure. And, you know, they, they, and they do, they use it for women's soccer. They use it for lacrosse. And, you know, the idea that they would have something specific for basketball in their mind didn't make a lot of sense. I think to the rest of the world, it's like, that's your cash cow. The tournament's the most important thing, uh, you know, but it allowed for enough argumentation around who was supposed to be in and who wasn't that they didn't see a need for it to change because it kept drawing attention uh, to the tournament and the selection process. And, and ultimately, I think the drama is, is something they're trying to perpetuate with this. And I don't think there's really that big of a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, clearly, if you think about over the last couple of years, they've you know, they've done that early reveal of the top four seed lines. Again, that kind of creates that drama and, and creates some buzz around that. And the RPI is certainly tied to that. Um, and and nothing created more drama than the selection show last year. So that was, you know, such a, a colossal uh, win for everyone involved. You you have to have to stick with that. So, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, the hard part is, and the RPI was no different. It takes a while once a new season starts for it to really kind of level itself out and the sample size to be big enough to, to make yourself feel like you even know where, where things are going to be, you know, within the first few weeks of the season, you're going to see lots of crazy stuff in the RPI, uh, certainly. And, and I don't think this metric will be, uh, all that different as you get going. So I think it's going to be, you know, a good bit into the season before we really start to feel like we might even understand how it's working. If we feel good about it, bad about it, uh, and anything like that. And, uh, you know, really be relying on the NCA to provide updates, and then we'll see if anybody can crack the code, so to speak, and, and try to replicate it. But uh, but we'll see how it goes at that point. So you're listening to the Assembly Call. This is Andy Bottoms. I'm here with Ryan Phillips and Galen Clavio, and we're wrapping up our discussion about the NCA's changes from the off season. And uh, you know, when Jared was was putting some of this together, I thought he had a good question at the end. And basically, it's you know, to sum it all up, how do you feel about college basketball after this offseason? In a better place, worse place, or the same? Brian, I'll go to you first. How would you answer that question? Uh, I would just say the same. I, I, I think that there's a lot of attention on the problems of college basketball, but I don't think we actually fixed any of the problems of college basketball. I think it's going to take years to fix them, quite frankly. Uh, I think that, you know, there's just so much that needs to be tweaked and fixed in college athletics in general, you're not going to get it done over a few months. And I appreciate that they're looking at it, that they have the Rice Commission, have the LO, I'm not really sure of any of the solutions they propose, but at least there is enough public outcry that they're starting to look into the way they do things. And it should be that way every offseason. They should be looking at ways to improve 
the product every year because let's face it, a lot of these are publicly funded universities. They should not be screwing over their students. It should be a, a you know an equitable situation for everyone involved, and it clearly is not right now. So I, I think that every offseason they should be looking at ways to improve things and and fix the problems that are just glaring on the surface. Galen, where do you come down on that? Pretty much the same. I, I don't think it got any worse this offseason, but there's a lot of work to do. And it's never going to get there while the current group of people is in charge. You know, until, until everybody's – until people are willing to be honest and say, hey, we're running a commercial enterprise and we're dealing with young athletes that have a lot of market value that you know people watch primarily because they are exciting uh, and also – we're in this because our universities are making a lot of money off of the, the, the television revenues that we're generating off of showing the games. You know, until people are honest about that being the primary undercurrent of college basketball, I think we're going to continue to have the same problems that we've had, not just for the last couple of years, but the last few decades. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, would, I would agree with that. You know, if they really don't want to tackle the amateurism part, there's a clear ceiling on how much change you can actually enact and how much you can actually do. Um, I, I think the other thing that I'd like to see them them do is really, you know, the people that they're they're talking to, I'm not sure they're the right people. And I'm also not sure that the people who are involved really have a great understanding of what grassroots basketball really is. And what's good about it and bad about it and everything in between. And most of what has come out would suggest there really isn't a, a desire to improve that part of the situation. Uh, improve the knowledge of that situation, I guess. I think there's a desire to improve the situation. Um, but I, I, I guess I would say that if you don't know enough about it, I'm not sure how you're going to know what exactly needs to get fixed with it. So that's the part that's difficult. But I think no matter what, if you you know continue to kind of turn a blind eye uh, you know, willfully to, to the real root of the problem, then uh, there's only so far that you're going to be able to go. Uh, Ryan, what do you think kind of, if you had to project what, you know, maybe the next, you know, the next potential step in this whole process really is? Any, any thoughts on what that might be? So this is kind of a, you know, we got the key in the ignition and we pulled out of the driveway, but what is the, you know, the, kind of the next thing that might happen from here? Well, I think allowing kids to go out of high school to the NBA in four years, as Galen said, because it's going to be a while. Uh, I think that is where it would start giving players some leverage in the situation because they could just bypass the 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 they could bypass college, and it would put the onus on colleges to make you know to appeal more to these kids and say, no, 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 you need to come to college because of X, Y, Z. Uh, whereas right now there's no, the only reason they go is they have to. I mean, there's no reason uh, that a guy like, you know, Marvin Bagley should have gone to college or DeAndre Ayton should have gone to college. He was on camp. They were both on campus for like six to nine months and, you know, probably took prerequisite classes that they didn't even care about. Uh, and they were going to be the top five picks in the draft regardless of their college performance. So, there really is no need for that. The only reason they go is because they have to. And and when colleges are forced to entice those kids to come on campus, maybe things will get better. You know, and something I just quickly to add to that is colleges should want to entice those players. I agree. You know, there, there's this idea that, oh, we're doing them a favor by letting them come to school. I mean, really, it's the opposite. Like the 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 amount of attention that schools get from a marketing perspective certainly from television revenues, from, from you know, butts in the seats, 
I mean, it comes down to having really good players. And, you know, the idea that, that you don't want that if you're college athletics, that you almost get the sense that that's what uh, some of the people in charge want us to believe. And if you're a logical person at all, you look at that argument and say you, you really aren't serious about this. Well, look argument. at... I think a perfect example is looking at Carmelo Anthony in Syracuse. I mean, he was there for a couple months, won a national title, but he's donated so much money to Syracuse. He's got yeah. a connection with that university. He talks to the kids who play there. I mean, it's, you know, it's a connection that is very important to that university and to that basketball program, but also to the university. And you want to create those connections and, and, and it's important. And uh, it helps the school as well as the player. So again, you're right. Schools should want to entice these kids and should want to make their experience on campus great, not just, you know, come here, take some glasses and get out of here, almost like it's a chore. They should make this a life they want to live. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I think that, I guess it feels like that's the next meaningful thing that could happen is, is what you so. brought up, Ryan, with the, uh, you know, with, with being able to let people go straight there. I, I, you know, I would imagine that there will be some other, you know, kind of half measure type things along the lines of what we've seen that will be there, but I don't know that any of those will be particularly impactful to the sport. And, you know, again, until they really start to address those issues. And I think, you would hope that as they see how the ones that they put in place this year play out, I'm sure people are going to be out there tracking, hey, you just instituted a rule that applies to six players. It's not really that useful and, and you can get called out. And it's easy to say now, like, hey, look what we did um, because there's nothing really there to say, oh, yeah, I, I, I made this huge impact. If it turns out that these are not impacting a lot of players, they're going to get a lot of blowback even more than they did before. And kind of force their hand, hopefully, to do something more substantial, or at the very least, to kind of you know tweak some of the parameters that they put around the rules that are going to be in place now. I, you know, I rarely praise uh, social media as the social media type world we live in, but one of the great things of developments is this: is it gives people who don't normally have a voice a voice, and players can talk on social media now and tell their side of the story, regardless of whether or not the school wants that out there. And that that's a huge positive because we hear from guys what's really going on sometimes i mean so you know sometimes they're they're too afraid to talk because their scholarship might be online or whatever but i i think that uh it's great that they're able to speak out and connect with fans and connect with reporters through just you know social media and 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 pushing out and getting their story out there yep i would agree all right well that will uh wrap up our our ncaa segment for uh for tonight so coming up in our final segment we're going to answer a bunch of questions that we've gotten over the last couple of weeks uh that we haven't had a chance to get to so uh we're going to look at those including a really good question from iu artifacts about uh the comparison between romeo langford and damon bailey so we'll hit that when we come back stick with us here on the assembly call You're listening to the assembly call. We're wrapping up another week of talking IU basketball. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and our special guest, Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. And we have a bunch of questions that we're going to try to get through, kind of knock out some of the the backlog that we've had. So these are in in no particular order. But the first question here comes from JD. Have there been any locker room updates that I missed? Thought they were projected to be completed by now, but haven't seen anything. Uh, Galen, as our as our man on the scene uh maybe you you are best suited to answer this question unless ryan has installed some kind of cameras that are allowing him to track the progress from san diego 
I've heard nothing new. Uh, it's, uh, far as I know, still the same as we heard last. Uh, obviously, that's something that I think now that the the football facility stuff is done, I'm, I'm looking forward to the locker rooms being the next major internal athletics project. Between it's 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 been very busy up at uh, you know the you know the the athletics complex between that between Wilkinson Hall, which is the new volleyball and wrestling facility. That's almost done. That should be you know I guess right where is on. that? It's 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 in the parking lot that used to be in front of the Gladstein Fieldhouse. Oh, okay. So it's it's kind of right across the street from Briscoe. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so it's cool. uh, and it's almost done, and that's going to be a really really nice facility because that used to be tucked away off of. Uh, yeah, that bypass, used to be right? the old U gym uh, mm-hmm. over there at Tenth and the Bypass, which I think is being taken over by Uits now for like a server farm or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, you know, next up, um, there's the, the I guess the men's basketball locker rooms, and, and that'll be a nice, uh, you know, the kind of one of the last really big upgrades I think in this assembly hall project, and and one that's probably pretty long overdue. Yeah, and, and I saw they had a, a social media video of them walking through it on the on the basketball Twitter account a couple weeks ago. I would assume that'll be done before uh, Hoosier hysteria. You'd have to think. I mean, if they're you know if the, right now the basketball team's not using the gym, so they're just using Cook Hall. So you would assume that that's probably when the target date is. Who knows if they get it done on time? But you have to assume that's probably when the target date is. JD. Yeah, I would. I would imagine so. Galen, any any thoughts on the uh, the uh, Memorial Stadium? All the work that's gone on there, just for for those of us who are who are not in town and and have you know kind of only seen pictures of it and things like that. Those of you who don't drive by it every day, like yeah, I exactly. do, yeah, no, it's it looks really nice. It really. I mean, I was talking about this on on the show on Crimson Cast, and I remember coming as a like an eight year old to games and, and, you know, it was like, the stadium looks very different than the other ones I've seen. Cause there's no way to connect the two stands. Yeah. Now to have the whole thing as a bowl, I think externally it looks really cool. I haven't seen it from the inside yet. I'm saving my eyes. I want, I want their, their uh, stadium virginity to be lost. The, you know, when I walk in for the Virginia game, or, I guess appropriately enough, but, um, <laughs> but uh, the stuff underneath, the the south end zone expansion is really cool you know the, there'll be everything from a new academic center to a new uh you know new like cafeteria for for athletes to a medical treatment center i think it's it's a really nice touchstone for the entire athletic department and, and i think it's great that they're using the the same footprint that they're using for the you know the upper level which is the stadium rather than building a brand new building you know, elsewhere right. in the complex. I mean, why not just have it all kind of in the same vertical footprint? And I had an idea. I was talking to to one of my buddies who's a, he's a high school teacher in Indianapolis. You know what they should do is if they're not selling out those games, they should give those tickets away to high schoolers, Get, you know, high school football players, high school athletes, high school kids, just come watch the football team, create new fans that way. I mean, do something because we know that at times when they're not competitive, the stadium looks a little empty while the tailgating fields are packed. We've all been there. We all know. Uh, but I think that in some way, look, get something out of those empty seats. Give them away to, 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 to kids, to families, to whatever. I mean, get them in that stadium and, 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 and maybe create some new fans. I, I think that they need to do whatever they can to get people. Keep Probably an NCAA violation to give them away to. Well, eh, you know what it's, I mean? Like give a block. Also- 
it's also not it's not great business practice to of course it's not but it's better than having an empty seat every week well you know the thing is i I think that gets solved by winning games and that's true it does i'd rather see them i'd rather have a forty thousand seat stadium and gradually fill it to 51 by winning than than 100 100 percent agree with you obviously that's the way to do it but if you're in a tough season or something and you're not winning you're not going to make a bowl and nobody's showing up Find a way to fill the seats. I mean, NFL teams do it all the time. They give away free tickets. It's to to charities, to whoever, and get people in the and butts in the seats. It's good for the players, and it will possibly create some more fans. All right, I'm going to cut Ryan off there before he starts going into something on the Chargers. I not going to do it. A, uh, not going to do it. That was a turn that was rapidly approaching. All right, so we're going to get this question from IU Artifacts. Do you anticipate the IU fan base holding Romeo to a similar standard to that of Damon Bailey when he started his IU career in 1990? Or was Bailey's situation more of an anomaly of a different IU generation? Uh, Galen, what are your what are your thoughts on that? It was interesting when I saw this one come through on Twitter. And I think a few people have batted around some uh, some ideas about that. It's a great question, and it it, is. We, were, we were going back and forth on Twitter about whether Bailey would have even come to IU. I think he would have for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, his, his game was like tailor-made for what Indiana basketball was in the late 80s, early 90s. There weren't a whole lot of other programs that would have jumped at the chance at getting a relatively, you know, not terribly athletic 6'2 guy who mostly played in the post in high school, which is, which is what he was. I would say, look, the way I look at it is this, that there's, it's 2018, the legend cult of basketball players just isn't there anymore. We know too much about them. And we see videos all the time. We discuss them endlessly on message forums. That really didn't happen in 1987, 88, 89. And so I think that the, the idea that Romeo is going to be held to a similar standard, no. I, I think Romeo will be looked at the, in a very similar way to a guy like Eric Gordon and the way that he was looked at, or a guy like Cody Zeller, where these guys were very, very highly anticipated players, but nobody expected them to come in and walk on water the way that people expected Damon Bailey would. And, you know, ultimately, I think that's better for everybody. You know, we, we want to demystify these things to some degree. You know, the idea that... Uh, you know, they're human beings. They're yeah. human beings. They're not, they're not you know, gods or, or proto-gods. And, and I feel like that was kind of the unfortunate aspect of the Damon Bailey story was that's how he got built into just really through no fault of his own. And, and to some degree, not even necessarily through any fault of the IU program. It's just... There's a feedback loop that happened between the Sports Illustrated story and season on the brink and the, you know, obviously what happened in the state tournament in 1990. And I just don't, I think that's a perfect storm of ingredients that can't be replicated now. Yeah. And let's remember, Damon was somebody that people around Indiana were making a big deal out of when he was in seventh, eighth grade and, and, and building him up to be this basketball got at that age and i think that you get kids scouted at that age nowadays of course and i'm sure people have known about romeo for that long but there was a microscope on damon for that long because bobby knight was talking about him uh now i think that it's you're right it's different these people are humanized it's uh romeo is not a perfect godlike figure he's a basketball player who's really darn good and is going to be making his living from it very soon uh i think that I think Cody Zeller is the comparison I would make is the, there was excitement when he was coming, but nobody expected him to single-handedly turn the program into a title winning program. He needed help. And I think that Romeo is a guy who's going to need help around him. And uh, 
we knew both guys were going to go to the NBA and be successful and have careers. But at the same time, we also knew to sort of cherish the time that we had them on campus. Yeah, I think it's it's funny to think about you know the time that that Bailey you know, grew in popularity. You think about things today, how you know just a few things get out there, the the notoriety can spread so quickly. But in a time that didn't have so many of the ways that that notoriety gets spread today, it was it's kind of crazy to look back about you know how how many people followed him. And the other thing that I hope is true, although you know Bailey obviously stayed longer than anyone anticipates Romeo doing is that I think in some ways those expectations were just so much that people looked at his career at times like it wasn't as successful as they hoped it would be. And yeah, I'm sure there were parts of it that they would look back and say, well, when you really look at what he accomplished and the stats he accumulated and the teams that he was on, um, you know, he didn't need to do as much for IU as he needed to do at Bedford. Um, And so, I, you know, his career is one that I think probably isn't looked at maybe by a lot of people in the way that I look at it in, in terms Very of underrated. There. but uh, all right so you're listening to the assembly call I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and our special guest Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast we got a few more minutes to hit some more of your questions uh, this one comes from Robert could you guys go through minutes expectations for each of the guys I think we'll see green play about 25 minutes and finish to the other 15 at point guard but the other positions aside from that seem tougher to project so i'm not going to go through i don't think we'll go through uh certainly all of these because that's far too much math for ryan as we well know absolutely Um, but so let's kind of start though a little bit with juan morgan and and romeo langford what kind of minutes ryan do you see each of those guys getting as as the two who are expected to really carry the load and probably play as many minutes as anybody else on the team High 20s. I, I don't think we're going to break 30. I, I don't think they should break 30. If they break 30, that means I use in trouble because you want to keep those guys fresh at the end of games. You don't want them worn out playing. F- you know, you, there is no world in which you want guys playing more than 35 minutes in a game. You want them to have plenty of time on the bench to rest and then come back and play at the end of the game full. If you're in, if they average more than 30 minutes a game, it means you're in a lot of close games and, and a lot of games where you need every ounce of them. It means other guys are in foul trouble, things like that. I think you want to be able to have these guys fresh. So I I would say just under 30 for both of those guys. And I think the way basketball is moving these days with more up-tempo games, that's that's a good spot to be in. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they got in the low 30s. All right, Galen, I'm going to throw out a couple of potential over-unders on some other guys to uh, to hit. All right, Justin Smith, I'll say over-under 25 minutes a game. I'll say over. I think he's going to really emerge. He averaged 14.9 points a game last, or excuse me, minutes a game last year. I think he could jump that up by about 10 minutes a game, and I think he's going to need to given where I use that at that particular position. All right, Ryan, I'll give you the over under on. Uh, let me Evan. let me answer that one though. I'm gonna, I'm going to say okay. under, but it's going to be very close. I think I think right around 25 is fine. All right, you're just trying to flatter me for setting the line. I appreciate that. All right, uh, Evan Fitzner, over under 20 minutes a game, Ryan. Under. I think, gonna be, I think he's going to be a deep shooting specialist for us. I think he's, I think he's going to play good minutes. San Diego boy, big fan of him. Uh, but uh, I think that he's, I don't think he's going to be a guy who is going to, you know, roll big minutes in the Big Ten. Twenty is the mark. Yeah, that's tight. It is tight. But Nick Zeisloft. Yeah, his, I'm really good at this. I should Nick, really. Nick Zeisloft in 2014-15 averaged 19.6, and in 2015-16 averaged 20.1. So I'm going to go just ever so slightly under on this, but yeah. that's, a, that's a tricky one. It's also going to depend on, on how they roll in the post and whether Deron Davis comes back. I mean, there's, that's going to be a huge question mark, whether Deron Davis plays this year or not. 
All right, one more. I'm I'm drunk with power at this point, so uh, I'll throw out. Uh, let's who, who you want to do, McRoberts or Jerome Hunter? Let's do McRoberts. All right, I'll say I'll say twenty for him as well. Over we'll let over the guests go nine. first. We'll let the guests right. go first. Oh, nice. All right, Galen. Over under twenty for McRoberts. Uh, I'm going to go under. I think McRoberts is a great utility piece. I just don't see him having nearly the the same amount of contribution that he had last year. He only averaged 21.9 minutes a game last year, and I see that falling quite a bit with the influx of talent. Yeah, I would say under as well, and I, for the same reason. I think there's a lot more skill on the team than there was last year, and I think he'll still be effective, and he'll still have his moments, and still, you know, there'll be, there'll be a game where Archie has to go to him because things aren't working out, and he's got to sort of be the guy who organizes everything. Um, but I would say under for sure. All right, last one. Just need an over or under answer on this. This is about points, but I'm trying to hit another question. Ty asks, what will Romeo's career high in points be? He set the over under at 29.5. Ryan, over or under? Over. Galen? Under. Ooh. Right. I mean, nice. this, isn't, this is just in one game, right? Just yes, one yeah. game. All right, we got to wrap up. All right. All right. Well, that will do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Till then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of the Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.